bringing order to the intersection of public, private, and civic. This is Infrastructure Momentum Makers. Welcome to Infrastructure Momentum Makers, presented by Ansarada, the only software solution purpose-built to securely run complex and high-value infrastructure procurement. All your infrastructure procurement processes in one place, all in order. And join me, Vratna Amin, as I speak with the movers and shakers at the intersection of the public, private, and civic sectors about the latest breakthroughs and developments in the world of infrastructure. Today, I am joined by the Executive Director of Caltrain, Michelle Bouchard. Michelle is a leader in the rail industry with decades of experience providing rail service from Gilroy to San Francisco through Silicon Valley. Michelle is here today to talk all about how to handle running a complex agency while launching a transformation of infrastructure and transit service and the challenges and opportunities that come with serving one of the largest economies in the world. So let's welcome Michelle to the show. Hi, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hey, Rada, it's so good to see you again. Yeah, it's been a while. So I have lots of questions or things to talk about with you about your career and working at such a fascinating transportation agency and in a fascinating place. But let's start with a little bit about your role today. So you have just been named the executive director of Caltrain, a relatively new position. There's been some governance changes. What is your job? Besides uh, chief cook and bottle washer, right? First of all, I, I feel very grateful to be the first ever executive director for Caltrain. And when I when I say that, it's because over the course of the last couple of years, I think in recognition of the growth of the railroad, whereas Caltrain had not had its own executive director, Caltrain was very ably overseen by the general manager of Samtrans, our managing agency. That's the bus company here in San Mateo. But when my predecessor retired, I think there was some recognition on the part of the JPB board that they wanted to have a directly responsible executive. And, you know, I've been acting in the role while decisions were being made. And I did that for about 18 months. And I think it was just last month they gave me the job. And so I'm just very grateful to be able to not have anything else to compare my performance to. <laughs> but also just to be at the end of such a dynamic, a dynamic organization. And I think capital R resilient organization. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that later. Yes, definitely. We'll talk about that. And you started at Caltrain, I believe around 2000 as a planner, which gives hope to all, all of us who went to planning school out there that we can actually run things <laughs> one day. But like what led you to the top? I know it's been a kind of a long journey. It has. I mean, in some ways, sort of tacking in the wind. I'll very honestly tell you, I didn't walk in here as a fairly young planner and sort of a generalist, right? I'm not a rail person by any means with any expectation to be doing what I'm doing now. And I think one of the things that, again, I go back to what's so great about this organization is that it is and has been small enough so that people like me starting in their careers who have curiosity can really 
find mentors and really have a much more expansive experience than something that's in a very strict box of this is my job, you just do that. And, and so that's sort of been my experience here. I started as a planner. And when I say mentors, I mean, I, I have really been blessed with a few fantastic people who recognized maybe some raw talent in me and, and decided that it could be nurtured. And I mentioned that because the thing that got me into the rail side of the business was a guy named Bob Doty, who really has served over the course of my career as primary mentor. He is critical to the success of the railroad in terms of collaborating with him on the baby bullet and in many ways responsible for the position we're in with respect to electrification. So anyways, I've, I've had a ton of support. Also, Mike Scanlon, who was our general manager. And one of the things that I just love generally about transit nationwide is agencies don't hold their information close. One can cultivate relationships nationwide, largely because of organizations like APTA and the WTS. But that's also been a way that, you know, I've just kind of learned some stuff. I took a different job at BART, which kind of helped to reframe my thinking about railroad in general. I was gone for a year and a half. Then I, I came back in 2015 to take the role of chief operating officer. And then I assumed the executive director position. So I realize I'm talking a lot about it, but it's just, I guess what I would say is sometimes it feels like you're tacking in the wind as you're moving forward. But as you look back, it looks like more of a straight line. <laughs> So, I, I mean, if I had to give advice to folk who are young in the industry, my advice would be to say just, hey, nurture your curiosity and nurture your technical expertise, where whatever that may be, and, you know, really find people outside of your organization that can give you different perspectives. Oh, that's so great, Michelle. Thank you for sharing that because that's not always visible to other people. And now I have a lot more questions for you, but one of them is about somebody who's a new out of grad school person called me recently and asked how to break into rail. And I said, you don't have to break into rail. You just volunteer. Yeah. Like there's there's a real need for people who are really excited to work in rail. Do you agree with that? Oh, a thousand percent. Remind me to give you my business card after this. Have them call me. Because I do think, and I am one of these people that, and I don't want to spend much time talking about the pandemic, but one of the things that the pandemic has done is caused, I think as an industry, but I think the rail, commuter rail, caused us to step back and say, hey, what is the role that we're playing in the community? How are we serving our communities? Commuter rail had a very ingrained, and that's what Caltrain is, a very ingrained way of and successful way of providing service. And now it's like, we, we really have to, to recast ourselves as something that is, uh, what was that commercial? Not, not your grandfather's, you know, Caltrain. Oldsmobile. Yeah. 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 So uh, no, I think rail in particular is really exciting now. I also want to highlight just the absolute need for fresh perspective and for us to grow our own, you know, we talk about the great resignation that is happening in rail big time, typically. And, and, and on the commuter rail side, typically you'll have families that are traditionally generation after generation in the railroad. That's not happening. Anymore. And so we really need to bring some new talent. So, again, 
I'll give you my phone number at the end of this. Send them my way. <laughs> Sounds good. I want to dig a little deeper. Michelle, you're at this inflection point in a whole industry of commuter rail that started, well, Caltrain started 150 years ago, but, you know, the private railroads and then sort of public. And like, are we at the beginning of a completely new era? Do you feel that way? Just my opinion. But the answer is absolutely yes. Caltrain hosted the first ever commuter rail coalition summit. Commuter rail coalition is a group of commuter railroads nationwide that are really trying to share knowledge and advance the the initiatives of commuter rail. It's sort of like a, a mini APTA just for commuter rail. Anyway, short story is we we had a, a three-day summit which had all sorts of sessions. And I think the common scene that I would take from that is we are at an inflection point. We're at a point at which if we don't change and redefine ourselves and consider ourselves, I'll say for particularly in the Bay Area, consider ourselves as the wider, as part of the wider rail network, take a more regional approach to things, we will wither and not succeed. And so it's times like this, we just really need to get out of our traditional ways of thinking and really figure out how to cast ourselves in a different light and really kind of sell ourselves to new populations. And really, you know, someone said to me, hey, you know, if you were selling a, if you were selling a product that people weren't buying, you would make a new product, right? <laughs> but I also feel like we need to understand the role that we have in the recovery. It's a dependency that is very chicken or egg, right? So in many cases, and particularly in San Francisco, we have been, I think, acknowledged globally to be the slowest to recover from the pandemic because of work from home and because of changed travel patterns. And the idea is, you know, if we're setting a new norm, transportation, particularly rail transportation, needs to be part of that. And so it's kind of like we are mutually dependent on success, the growth and the continued survival, thriving of cities, as well as the thriving of our industry. So yeah. so you run this railroad, and for people who don't know, it's from San Francisco to San Jose through Silicon Valley, some of the most valuable companies in the world. How do you rationalize this juxtaposition of a, a railroad that has to be really nimble and resilient and is always stretching itself in this corridor of incredible wealth and innovation. I will say this because I need to put on record, we actually do travel further south to- Oh, sorry, to, to Gilroy. Gilroy. No, no, it, it's okay. It's just, it's just really important because prior to the pandemic, we're talking about jobs, housing balance, and really needing to regionalize because all of the housing is being constructed outside. And so- there's a key role that we need to play in connecting folks who are still going into the office. But one of the things, when I talk about resilience and the role that Caltrain has played on the corridor, so I won't uh, necessarily extrapolate industry-wide, but for Caltrain in this corridor, we, I think, have an interesting reputation that is supported by performance of, yeah, being a 160-year-old railroad, but also kind of being a startup that has found ways to transform and innovate over the course of time with a relatively, you know, I think people are shocked to understand how large our staff is, really. 
So, but when I talk about transformation, I assume talk about our electrification program. We are doing something that has not been done. We are the first diesel to electric commuter rail in the West, a, a total transformation of our corridor that went from steam to diesel, and now we're going to electric. The timing couldn't be worse and better in a way, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yes, ridership is down, but the electric trains will allow us to completely transition how we deliver our service, going from a commute service to more of a regional transit model, which will allow us to be far more nimble with respect to how we serve various different communities, what we can do in terms of frequencies. And we get a chance to do that during a time where we're not busting at the seams. So that's the kind of upside of launching this service in about a year and a half. But I do think that allows us to partner with the local communities and the tech business in ways that we couldn't before. We are going to be providing a transformative travel experience. Honestly, these trains are gorgeous. They're state-of-the-art Swiss design that I think people are really going to, it's going to really resonate with folks. And they're going to want to use that as their primary mode of travel, particularly if it's going to be over, let's call it, 25 miles. Mm -hmm. And honestly, on the peninsula, even though people aren't going to work somehow, both 101 and 280 are two parallel yeah. highways are absolutely chock-a-block back to pre-pandemic. That's so exciting. And that is then that innovation, but it's like comes in cycles and waves. It does. It does. Yeah. But, you know, so, so much of it is also, you know, the other thing we're we're doing is in trying to transform the rider experience and transform the community experience as well is part of our program is installing this broadband backbone. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's things like Wi-Fi. It's allowing people to actually treat the train as their whole office, if you will. And it also allows us to say, hey, tech companies, we're, keep, we're keeping up with you and we want to provide the service that you're looking for that will help you to bring people back to the office for whatever the the new norm is going to be. I've been hearing from our business communities through groups like Silicon Valley Leadership Group and SAMHSA and Bay Area Council that there is a push to get even tech workers back into the office more because, because innovation comes from the in-person communication mm -hmm. many times more often than what we're doing now, right? Yeah, of course. And so we want to stay really close to our communities in terms of business and educational communities to find out what they need. And our electrification program allows us to deliver that service in ways that we're so not able to do, right? Oh, it's going to be so exciting. Yeah, you got to come out and see the trains, Ratna. For sure. I'll just ride back and forth. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Listening to you talk, I'm reminded of a huge part of your job or the agency's job is dealing with the public and hearing what the public wants and hearing the public's ideas and the public's frustrations. You wouldn't be in this role if you couldn't didn't have a way of handling that and taking that in in a way that doesn't overwhelm you. I know a lot of people get really overwhelmed by the public and, and feeling responsible for answering every concern or idea. And then that becomes sort of a, a burnout end of the road in this line of work. How do you handle it? 
I have to say this, and and I I can't say this enough. We have a communications and an outreach team here that is second to none. And we use all sorts of social media, all sorts of means to not only communicate information out to our publics, but also receive it. I will say one of the major things that our organization has managed to do is cultivate really strong relationships with certain advocacy groups and support groups like the Friends of Caltrain that really represent a population that we wouldn't be able to really get feedback from individually. Really, we've got a lot of friends in the corridor that are able to, I want to say, aggregate feedback. So we're receiving Mm -hmm. it in ways that are a little more, we're able to operationalize. Let me say that. I think the second thing is, and, and I've really appreciated this, we did a business plan. The word business plan is so unassuming, which does not even come close to describing the effort that it was. It was really a strategic visioning document that was really geared towards viewing our future growth path through a few lenses. One was a financial lens, hence the business title, but also through a lens of equity. And what I really came to learn, and we had had great staff working on that, uh, a guy named Sebastian Petty and also Casey Fromson, who's our current chief of communications. You know, they were kind of lockstep for probably three years and they were taking meetings and I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating, up and down the corridor in every single community, up and down the corridor every week for three years. And the reason why I'm emphasizing that is, yeah, you can come out with a plan, but unless you have a process from which that plan is derived that builds consensus, or at least when you don't have consensus, people understand why you arrived at the conclusions you did, you know, that that whole process really did a huge, huge, solid favor for Caltrain in terms of establishing us and our credibility in the community as an organization that will listen and will not be shy about communicating and in ways when we have to deliver disappointing news and or results, we'll tell you why. Yeah, I've noticed that's really powerful. I think I've definitely noticed that, that building of the relationships and building of trust. And it brings up the question of whose railroad is it? When I look at our role here at Caltrain is we are stewards of the railroad, the community and our corridor. It's joint ownership. And what I've really tried to communicate, which I think we always thought was sort of implied, but I think it's so important to say it more than anything. We are here to serve our customers who are riding the train. We're here to serve our communities and the region. And we're here to serve all of the business and educational entities that are all invested in our success. And so I think it's a really great question because... It's important to remember when it comes down to it, you have to take joy in the service and you have to like just always strive for excellence when you're responsible for providing this critical asset to people that really rely on it for various things, you know, whether it's getting their kids to school, which we have plenty of, whether it's going to the ball game, whether it's traveling to work. I take that as a real hefty responsibility. Yeah. Absolutely. 
and to do it safely. You mentioned the corridor, Michelle, and I think that's a really interesting aspect of the Caltrain organization is that you have a corridor, a, a whole section of land yeah. that you're stewarding as well. Can you say more about that? Sure. Just how it factors into your day-to-day? Sure, absolutely. I think it's important for folks to to know that may not be common knowledge. In the world of commuter and intercity rail, there are a lot of services that operate on on freight rights of way and rights of way that are owned by others. So it really is, it's so fantastic for us to actually own our own corridor, at least between San Francisco and San Jose. We do operate on a freight corridor on the UP freight corridor south to Gilroy. But the fact of us owning the corridor does a few things. I mean, obviously we can talk about the asset that is the land ownership, but I want to focus first on what it means to to own the corridor, to be able to provide the types of services without having to negotiate constantly with an owner of that corridor. We are that owner. And so what it has allowed us to do in a way, and yes, it was owned by the freight railroads and then it was taken over by the state and now it's locally owned. There's a something key around, first of all, having had all of the communities on the peninsula grow up around the railroad. So there's community ownership of the corridor. And that's what really, I think, has been critical to the support and our success. The other thing that's really important is that it's important to know that we need to distinguish ourselves as a corridor owner and then also as a service provider. And the reason why I distinguish that is because we also host various railroads on our corridor. And it's important that we're able to to provide, you know, the type of service and capacity that they need. We're also going to be the future host of, of high-speed rail in California. And they're a major funder in our electrification program. And so we're really excited to work with them as a new service operating in our corridor. But that also really, it, it extends our reach far beyond the region. We become something that is is really critical to sort of a a state network. So that from the service and corridor perspective is one thing. What's really exciting and and honestly I'll say is something that is really active right now is we do own the right-of-way, but there are various important areas where we own larger pieces of land where we are in partnership with local government to really pursue some exciting transit-oriented development. This is something that we haven't done writ large very much in the past. And so it's sort of like in the last five years or so, we've had real activity around potential huge development up in San Francisco with also a potential for the downtown extension. We've got a, a big transit plan that we're working collaboratively with Redwood City which is in plunk right in the middle of our corridor. And then we have a great partnership down at uh, Deerdon Station with the city of San Jose, with VTA, with High Speed Rail and ourselves, looking to develop that Deerdon Station complex. So first of all, it really provides fantastic opportunities to create beautiful spaces for not only our customers, but for also those cities. My background is in land use planning first, so I I still see the beauty in that. But the second thing is the way Caltrain is funded, it hasn't been a particularly 
resilient source of funding in the past. And so we're looking to really capitalize on some of this development to be able to provide maybe not a, a major source of funding for the railroad, but certain a, certainly a steady source of funding. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like what I'm hearing you do right now is put the community and railroad back together. They got broken apart and in different institutions over the last several decades when it was no longer all private. I think I'm just realizing this listening to you, Michelle. It's like it was all private and then it was kind of all mixed up. And then how do you reconnect all the parts at public and private so that there's like a whole model for people to move around, which is the whole goal, I think. And uh, but also to have a, a sound business model. Oh, I like that. I'm going to take I'm going to take that. I'm going to be using okay. that in my public speaking. <laughs> okay. um, I, well, because here's the thing. I think it's just I think it's really important. And this is why it's a very exciting time to be at Caltrain. And when I don't use the term transformation lightly. When we talk about transforming the corridor to an electric corridor, we're talking about satisfying sustainability goals. We're talking about making the communities through which we operate much cleaner places. And I say cleaner in terms of greenhouse gases, in terms of diesel fumes, in terms of noise pollution. And what I really want us to continue to be talking about is contemplating our corridor not as a series of towns and communities and cities through which we operate, I really do want us to, from the Caltrain perspective, treat ourselves as a corridor. Transit is a system and it's not about a certain place. And so when we talk about turning ourselves into an electric corridor, we want to really see ourselves as a place of innovation and we want the communities we serve to see themselves as that as well. Wow. It's a big vision. You got to start somewhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> what I'm struck by also is it takes a certain kind of leader to handle working in so many collaborations outside of your own agency. You're not just focused on what you do every day internally and the things you control. It seems like that's only a small part of what the agency does. So what are the like mindsets you all have that enable you to engage in collaboration with all these entities? It's sort of a humbling when I realize how much support we have from various entities, and, and I'm talking about political support, I'm talking about federal delegation, state delegation, local city councils, also businesses, also customers. And so I think, again, one of the things that I'm, I'm really Something, again, that we have such a small staff that's doing it. So, by the way, you asked, you used the word over, it can be overwhelming because we really do want to continue the conversation with all of our various stakeholders because they've been the whole reason why we've succeeded. We passed a tax measure in the middle of the pandemic because of the support of our riders, the business groups, our political delegation. And so I think because of the geography through which we operate, which is, yes, it's Silicon Valley, there are various different opinions as you ride north and south on the corridor. We need to be very agile in terms of understanding how we engage with each of these stakeholders, many of whom have, have different needs from the railroad. And so what I really appreciate about our team is we are focused on external face. We are focused on bringing that back and figuring out how we can aggregate these ideas to really 
make ourselves a better corridor and a better railroad. But what it does require is it does require constant interaction. And sometimes that does get sort of exhausting, but in a good way. Don't get me wrong. But it's kind of like what we signed up for. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) It's always going to be that way because we do operate in such a wonderfully diverse corridor. And so we do need to consider all of those perspectives. Yeah, it's a different way of operating. It is. Than just um, sporadic interaction. And when you're talking about support, I also just feel like love. There's so much affection and connection, heart, body, mind level going on across the corridor. I feel that until we, you know, absolutely don't feel it if we've done something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> when you have a, a major mechanical delay, it's like you're not feeling the love so yeah. much at all. But it's, you know, I got to tell you something. And I consider my bias, right? I've been here for more than 20 years, but I've observed this not only with respect to the community's buy-in to the service. And I do think it's as a result of us serving those communities for 160 years. You know, a lot of people grew up around the train. But I also find it in the type of employees that come to work at Caltrain. We've got true believers. It's very rare. I find it's very rare. When we, more often than not, when I interview people or when my team interviews people, it's like people are coming here to work for Caltrain. They're not coming to work for a railroad. They're coming to work for Caltrain. And I think it's because, you know, we got a, for a relatively small railroad, we got a lot of interesting stuff going on. We're small enough that we can innovate or, or contemplate crazy things that other railroads potentially can. We're a single line. We don't have the kind of constraints of having to meet in the middle and coordinate lines that way. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think our future challenge, just as an aside, again, is making sure that we can help to collaborate uh, coordination more on, on the regional level amongst yeah. amongst transit and rail entities. But, but yeah, no, we got much Caltrain love here. Oh, well, and that coordination does seem like a new era and a new skill set that'll come with that. I think that's true. I think the reason why we don't see it, it's daunting from a, hey, it's another thing to do perspective, but because by virtue of us having to work with so many external entities, I think, you know, we've exercised that muscle. And so we, I think we find ourselves poised to be able to do it. I think my, not my, our our biggest issue, which I think you'll, you'll find a common theme, is just uh, human resources, people to do the work. Hiring is real tough. It's tough from a Bay Area economics perspective. There's a lot of competition. But also, as I said before, we're looking for some pretty rare skills. We'd love to be able to grow our own, but that takes time. Michelle, managing a railroad and infrastructure projects, everything you do can be stressful. Where do you find order in the chaos? For me, Ratna, the most important thing, and it's really the most important thing in terms of, you know, understanding that my team is is keying off of me, is is to really take a very measured approach to difficult situations, to really take an empathetic approach to the folks that work for me and to the constituents that I work for. And most of all, just really try and stay very present to not spiral out of control with the what ifs. And it's just to deal with what's happening right in front. That's great advice. Thanks, Michelle. I mean, that's great to hear from you and great advice for others. Last question before I let you go. 
is there any major infrastructure project anywhere in the world that's on your bucket list to go and see one day? I would love to see the Gateway Project get moving, get finished. Being a native New Yorker with my mom that lives in New Jersey now, it'd be really great. Oh, yeah, that's great. A future project. Michelle's going to come visit. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me on the show, Michelle, and sharing so much about how you approach your work. And it's congratulations on being the leader of this organization. So glad you're there. Oh, Ratna, thanks so much. And first of all, thanks for the opportunity. It's been really great talking to you about a topic that I just I just love so much. Oh, all right. I want to give a big thank you to Michelle Bouchard for being with us today. It's really amazing to see the work she's doing to transform a rail system. If you're enjoying the show, please make sure to leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, I'm Ratna Amin, and this has been Infrastructure Momentum Makers, presented by Ansarada. <laughs>